Welcome to Sculpture Vulture. I'm Lucy Branch, a sculptural conservator and author, bringing you a series of interviews with some amazing sculptors who inspire me and I hope will do the same for you. You can see the photographs accompanying the interview, the episode show notes and get a free novel from sculpturevulture.co.uk. Hello Sculpture Vultures and thank you for joining me. Well, I don't know about you, but I am really noticing that the year is beginning to pop into life. There is little shoots of work all over the place sprouting and we're really beginning to get into the thick of it. I'm really excited to be getting started with a Bernard Meadows sculpture beginning of the year. He was uh, Henry Moore's first assistant and anyone who's sort of interested or likes Lynn Chadwick and Eduardo Palozzi, you know, they're, they're in the same club. I think they called their group the Geometry of sculptors, uh, which I think is quite, I don't know, quite gothic-y sounding. Bernard Meadows was a teacher at the Royal College of Arts and he shaped great students, uh, among which was uh, Elizabeth Frink. And, and when you've been working in a field as long as I have, <laughs> forever and ever, you have to start challenging yourself. You have to ensure that you are continuing to be excited about the work you do. So I have a little uh, way of, of doing this for myself, which is that I look out each year for projects that uh, of a sculptor that I haven't worked on before, someone who really excites me, lights me up, I think might have been important in sculptural history. And this year, one of those sculptures has come along right at the beginning of the year, uh, which is for me, uh, Bernard Meadows. And and you learn something different every time you work on a different sculpture and every time you examine a different sculpture, uh, which is why it's so worth engaging in other people's work apart from your own. And that little bit of discovery, that little bit of excitement then trickles down into all of the other things that you work on that might not be quite so fresh and new. And another way that I love to sort of get energy into my year is by trying to look out for exhibitions, things that I haven't seen before. And I suppose it's a bit of a, an artist date if you're into the whole Julie Cameron thing. Um, and who isn't, frankly? She's, she's just, you know, iconic genius for all of us uh, artists and creative types. And the actual exhibition that I'm super excited about coming up this year is the Monumental Sculpture Exhibition at Chatsworth Park and it's taking place from about April into October and I think they've got like about four new works coming in to the park and you know I'm not sure if they're going to be the most you know radically famous uh, sculptures you've ever seen but they're coming in from the US uh, I mean, what is there not to like about Chatsworth, you know, huge sculpture and a kind of parkland to die for. So uh, I'm really excited about that. I'm booking up my tickets if anybody else from the Sculpture Vulture tribe wants to have a meet up. We could all go and yomp round together. I think that would be a fantastic opportunity. Today I'm interviewing Mark Richards, who specialises in figurative sculpture. I first came across Richard's work at 
Gum Wharf Keys in Portsmouth. I was actually working on another sculptor's work down there, Richard Farrington's Whale's Tale, but I was looking at his sculpture, Mark's sculpture, and I was quite grateful not to be working on it that day because it's, although it's a wonderful thing, access-wise, it looks like a nightmare. It's right, it's surrounded entirely by water, as you would imagine in Portsmouth, and um, it really, uh, probably its biggest challenge will be access, I imagine, when it comes to its conservation time. He has a completely dizzying number of monuments to his name and you're sure to know the Matthew Flinders sculpture in Euston, which I think is particularly lovely, and the Roger Casement statue in Dunleary and or the big Tom McBride sculpture in County Monaghan. I began our conversation today by asking when sculpture had first come into his life. I think I was drawn to sculpture because I, I studied medieval architecture um, as part of an art history course at Manchester when I was when I first went to university, and what I really what what uh, one of the things that really I was very drawn to was the collective nature of the way that the carving communities worked in those days, and I found it very much at odds with the um, with with the much more contemporary than when it started, but this idea of this as a sort of um, standalone kind of creature, which I've I never quite understood how that how that came about. So I was very drawn to the um, sort of collective nature of how the Gothic cathedrals were carved and made. And so you had these communities of of, of, of artisans, sculptors, kind of move around Europe, m- taking their kind of livelihoods, life and life and families and everything, friends yeah. along w- with them. And they would move from cathedral often up the limestone belt that runs up through France and up into Britain. Um, you know, transferring skills and working very much in, in, in a kind of collaborative way. And I was very interested. I was kind of, I was very drawn to that as a, as a sort of antidote to the, the rather um, isolated, uh, but almost the sort of personal branding. Well, since, since the Renaissance, really, the, the, the myth of the sort of, or the, almost the, the branding of the individual as being um, something sort of out of slightly out of society I, I, I've never really gone with that and I just um and I so I was very drawn to I was very drawn to carving and things because of that so then I went on to I then went on to study carving so I went from a kind of academic thing to it and I did a, a course in sort of carving and figure sculpture mm-hmm. um, but then when I came out of that I realized that obviously the medieval times were over and finished and so um, was that part of um, your degree, the uh, sort of... No, 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 no. My, my, no, my degree was an academic, academic degree. Okay. But I was always, I always used to paint, paint and draw. I, I was never, um, I was a terrible academic. I didn't, uh, I'm I was, sure you I was, weren't. I was, I, was, I, I was much more interested in making and drawing and things. Um, so I spent most of my, I seem to remember spending most of my spare time in the, um, the architecture school in Manchester trying, doing, doing drawing sessions. And so it was after university that you began to sort of explore the practical side of yourself. Of sculpture, yeah. So yeah. I learned, I learned some because I'd always been, I'd always painted, drawn things. So I, um, yeah. And then I went to, um, and then I started. I, I wanted to learn, learn the craft. The three, the three sort of main families of sculpture. Yeah. So learn, learn the basics of all three of those. How did? So that's what, I did. what What form did that take? Was it short courses and night well, just, 
no, no, I went to a full-time, I went to a full-time course. Course, and, okay. Um, yeah, and did, um, but I, I had a kind of my own agenda, which was to learn those basically carving, modeling and fabrication and to, yeah. but to learn all the, all the skills associated with those techniques. Yeah. It's pretty much all the sculpture. I think all the sculpture. It's very yeah. rare that you see a piece of sculpture that doesn't fit into one of those families and those, having those basic skills, I thought was a really good way to start. And so tell us a little bit about uh, your first paid piece of work. When did it start becoming a profession rather than uh, a sort of passion? I made a, a, a lot of sculptures for a film called The Ultimate City, um, which was a film school film. That was my first time. Um, so a so of kind of... like props or? Well, they were kind of, I suppose they were props, yeah. I made yeah. I cut them in polystyrene and covered them in plaster and paint and that sort of thing. So that was my first paid, paid job. Paid job. And did you uh, just get that taste for it and think to yourself, you know, I, this is something I could do for myself? Because not everybody has that sort of entrepreneurial streak in them, I don't think. Yeah, I, I, I just really, um, you know, I just love making things. And I just thought if I could just get, um, yeah, I mean, that's a good point you raise, actually, is, is I don't know whether it's an entrepreneurial streak, but I've I've, I've, I've always been really um, uh, quite careful to divide the sort of making part of, 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 of the world from the making creative part of all the stuff to the, to the kind of selling and getting, or basically getting the work and doing it. I've always tried to keep those two things quite separate. Yeah, they are treat, quite, quite different. Treat one with sort of, you know, just to be quite organised in, in one and maybe not so organised in the other. Yeah, and that obviously that that disorganisation would transfer from one side to the other at random. And um, so, what was the progression then from sort of doing that first job? Did you uh, start to tell people about what you could do, or was it working for other people first? No, I always I I I just wanted to gather as much um, practical experience in the field as I possibly could. So I, I after I trained in how to make sculpture I started and obviously you can only you know it's like you can you can train to do um you can train to be a doctor but it's only when you start seeing patients that you really start getting experience and you start yeah. understanding what's going on so I um I, I then just wanted I just then took any anything I could find just to get experience yeah I just just I, I just tried not to repeat myself and, and just did everything I worked for advertising you know before you had sort of CGI and stuff for you all the advertising sets, you got sort of posters were all and billboards, they were all made by hand. So there's huge amounts of work in the um, in the kind of model making industry. Okay. Um, I mean that pretty much all those companies have changed now, all gone. But London was, I don't know how how you are on, on time time wise, but the um, when I was in London in the uh, in the 80s, I mean it was a really it was a very making place. And, and, and to some degree the 90s as well but the um it was a really extraordinary time of uh, i think you know for somebody who was just like me sort of hungry to learn how how to make things and, and using materials and all the opportunities that were there to to make money learning how to do it were, were great it was a lovely it was a very lovely time for me i mean you seem to have found a niche really there must have been a point where it began to re- sort of reduce down and specialize yeah yeah then yeah I did well, then I started specializing in 
figurative, just pure figuration. And there was, um, you know, there were a lot of commissions to be there. A lot of, I, I didn't really start doing private commissions until I was in my 30s. Okay. Um, I was working very much for organizations um, who, were, who were just supplying industries. I was, I was very much a jobbing sculptor. And, and, I, and then I started specializing. So I, my, I suppose my figuration started getting, I did three years at Madame Tussauds above the shop. And then while it was, while the um, studio was above the exhibition, there was, I mean, now it's a sort of, it's, it's an enormous organization. They've done extremely well with their business. But they, when I was there, for, was there for three years and in the kind of post-college um, time and, you know, it was, it was just wonderful. There were sort of five sculptors working above the shop and with a team of um, moulders and hair colourers. And it was a, it was like a kind of an old-fashioned Renaissance studio of innocent, in, in, in one sense. It was really lovely. And yeah. it, interestingly, it was very much along the lines of how I'd imagined artists working in the old days. Yeah, Where very... people were much more, much, you know, working very much more closely. And the individual was... Was, was really subsumed by the, the sort of object, as it were, rather than it wasn't. I mean, nobody knew who made these things. They yeah. just sort of appeared out of the workshops. And, you know, some were, some were terrible, some were great. You but, sound like quite a social soul, are you? You're definitely a team player. I think, but I, I mean, I like company. I like human company. And I like, you know, I like teams of people working together. I think, it's, I think it can be incredibly effective and powerful as a sort of creative force and, and also it's a great way to live you know, if you're in a um, if you're in a group of people who are working well together and they say you know it's it's wonderful it's a wonderful place sounds fantastic madam two swords <laughs> it was i mean at the time yeah and i don't know what it, i think so, yeah, it probably still has on a much bigger scale but, but for, anyway from a sculptural point of view because it's it's like the kind of the finest sort of sculpture you can you know, you, because there's nowhere to hide in, in terms of form. Mm. You have not, you, you know, you can't use texture. You can't, you can't really express anything that's um, overt. Everything is incredibly subtle. So in terms of refining my sense of how to model form, it was just invaluable. Mm. I mean, because you become just very, very, you just do it over and over and over again. So month upon month upon month. And eventually, um, you know, you become good at it. Just by just by repetition. So I just did an awful lot of I, I did an awful lot of very fine modeling. And you began and to branch out to commissions. You seemed to quite like commissions. Is that seems more solitary, maybe, than working in a big studio with yeah. lots of other people? Yeah. Yes, it's, it doesn't suit me at all. <laughs> but you do lots of them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it is it, it is a strange paradox in the set the only way of getting it done getting these things done to any kind of standard i want is just spending hours and hours and hours and uninterrupted hours but as a person it doesn't suit me at all i'm quite garrulous loquacious mischievous i like um, other people being around but that doesn't work with the work so you know in order to get the quality that i want and i i you know i i, I really go for high you know i i want my public sculpture to to be very specific to the place. I wanted to build it around the place. I don't just plonk work into a space. I, I very much take into account the space. I design it around the community that is, um, is that I'm working with or the organisation. I, I put a lot of time, a lot of care into it. 
and that just and and then I, I like to execute it to a very high standard, and that just takes months to do, and so it's odd odd that the yeah my nature is 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 much more gregarious than than, than it allows um, yeah. than the work allows, but then you know life's never exactly as you want it to be. Isn't it? No, and also I, I kind of think sometimes it teaches you things, right, about yourself, you know, especially if it's the opposite of what you would have assumed about yourself. So you, you, clearly part of your creative practice is long hours, but alone. I mean, you discover stuff, I think, in long hours. Alone. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and yes, and it, I, I think, you're, yeah, yeah, you're right. And I'm not sure whether one comes out with any great revelations that you I think it certainly allows time. It allows space for the work to to take on something that probably wouldn't be there, you know, in a kind of group workshop, um, you know, above the waxworks. You, you know, that that wouldn't happen. It was far too social. I was going to say, just I think that the public, when they look at sculpture, they often, again, they think about it being a process where you were kind of struck just by this this sort of desire to create and you know you might have done a lot of work in a very short time because it was sort of spontaneous but actually it's it's a process the same as any other right I mean you you get into a, a place of creativity where things flow but it isn't just oh you know one morning I woke up and I just made this thing it, it again it's oh God, kind of absolutely like the, not. the myth of yeah. the artist there again Yes, I, absolutely. I think it's just, um, uh, you know, I mean, I think there's, I think there probably is, you know, there are obviously occasions when that has happened. Um, the main thing that's got in the way of producing things to where I want to be are the are clients. I mean, not, I mean, most of the clients I've dealt with are brilliant, have yeah. been brilliant, but it's, it's, it's usually when the client has interfered somewhere along the line that those are the things that haven't quite gone the way trans translated for, for me yeah and so my job I'm, I'm, so a lot of my a lot of the time i'm working to deadlines as well because there might be an occasion for an availing etc etc so i'm i have to try to carve out my time with the work in amongst all that noise and and all the all all all, all the the um, the imperatives that were imposed upon one um, yeah. by, by by the you know the structure of it and i, I so my my Everything I do is, is 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 just to give myself that time to sort of keep keep things at, at bay, but also you know take my my responsibilities to my to my clients, to the finances, to my foundries, to the you know to my suppliers and my clients to take those very seriously, mm -hmm. and and with you know to respect both of them and to treat them with integrity. That's that's also important. Just tell us a little bit about a project, something like the Roger Casement Monument. I mean. Is it is a project like that quite restrictive creatively, or is it that you thrive when you have those those parameters? You mean because of the position it's in? Yes, exactly. Or, Sorry. Or you mean because of the location? Because of its well, location. What, what, yeah. Well, no. What what really does it for me is 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 matching a design to the location to make a make a piece work in the in the actual location, physical location, the emotional location of the people in the area as well and um and the kind of historical part of something and the person that i'm i'm representing so the casement was actually a brilliant um a brilliant opportunity for me to do all those things because 
I mean, I, I love working in Ireland. I love working with the with, with, with the people, all the people I've worked with in Ireland just, are just fantastic. They have huge um, uh, a kind of respect someone works. It's a, it's a sort of, it's, 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 it's suggesting that other people don't expect. But, but they, you know, they, they have a lot of regard and, um, and, and they're incredibly supportive to the artists they're working with. And that's... Um, they're leading the way with uh, the uh, new uh, sort of universal wage type thing for artists. I was yeah, yeah, this. absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 you mean with it with the tax free until yeah, fifty thousand euros or something. That's yeah, great, isn't it? Um, no, but they're just you know they're just also the way they really they really have trusted me, the people I've worked with, and that's been that's meant that the work I've done has, has always been really good actually. Yeah, um, and I think and it's it, it's as good as it must be. I say it's really good. It's as good as it possibly can be. And um, with the with the, the casement piece, it's a little known fact actually that the the first one I did, I designed the piece. I designed the piece for, with them um, uh, around a series of briquettes, and then I presented the final work. Um, it's kind of two and a half, two years ago now, um, and. I, I looked at it and I saw. I, I went over to present it to a, to a, a theatre full of people in Dunleary, present f- photographs of the piece that I did in the studio. And I looked at it and I was thinking. And I was look, I looked at the location, and I just thought, it's just. I just had this horrible realization. It just wasn't going to work. Okay. So I, I walked back to the theatre to do the presentation, which is a forty-five minute talk I was giving. I, worked, I ran through the whole thing and. Um, and then found myself saying, I, I, you can't have it. And because I don't I think it's shit. Oh, Some no, words, how did that words, go down? Words, words, words to that effect. There, was a, there wasn't really a lot of noise in the room. It went very quiet. And, um, and I thought, well, actually, no, this is, this is right. This is just not, it just isn't good enough. I've just, just done a really bad piece of work. And, um, and so, and I thought, well, actually, there's, there's no way. This is so so public this is hugely public and a hugely important piece of work as well for yeah. for ireland for the for the area for the location and i worked really closely with them and i just thought it's just anyway so i just said sorry you're not having it and i thought i'll just get i just get you know i don't know expecting calls from lawyers and that sort of thing and, and they were just great and they just they just they just really um you know after the silence had died down <laughs> um i think somebody got up and and, and was really just thank me on behalf of the town for caring enough to say that they couldn't have it, They're which probably... was really nice. So I, so, I, so I started again. I started the whole thing again, which is why it took so long. Gosh, but probably really, I mean, that is a hard thing to do, right? I mean, anyone who anyone who can admit that it's not, you know, where it should be at that so particular Lucy, moment. you should have seen, yeah. You should have seen it was such crap. I'm sure it, it looked great, in, looked great in the maquette for. No, it looked great in the maquette for. But, but as soon as I as soon as I, I made it, you know, raised it up to full size, it's just awful. It just didn't work right. at all. Anyway, yeah, it looked great on the cat. But I mean, how yeah. can you but, know but, that until with such an unusual location? How can you possibly know it until you see it, right? Well, in one sense, but I should know. I should. I've, I've done enough of this. I should. I should. I should know. But actually, you know what? I knew a lot long before I finished it. But because I'd because I'd been given the commission on the strength of that maquette. I thought, well, I can't change it because that's, you know, that's, that's like breaking the trust of the whole thing. So I've just got to try and make that, that design work. 
and the, and the more I tried it, the, the worse it got. And, and I, I tried to get it finished. I thought, anyway, it was just one of those times. But, but you know, I, I'm forever grateful to, um, uh, to, my, to, my, to my clients over there. We're just amazing. Who really. believed in you? And then, and then, luckily, we had the lockdown, so all the building work stopped. <laughs> so it was fine. You <laughs> I don't didn't think, hold anything up. You don't I didn't think hold psychically, up you've uh, you you sort of <laughs> added to the generated the it. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Um, but but I mean, great, yeah. did that must have? I mean, you say like you had this slight intuition that it wasn't going the way you'd wanted to. I mean, does that mean that going forward, you if you felt that earlier, you'd stop yourself again? I mean, sometimes it comes right. Sometimes you're working on something and you think this is the worst thing I've ever produced. And then suddenly it turns a corner. It's really hard to know whether it will turn the corner or not. But you kind of mostly you just trust or I do anyway. Yeah, I think you just I think you you could just you just got to acknowledge if you feel if you can feel it. But sometimes you just have a bad day and you've got to come in the next morning. Obviously, you don't want to sort of change your mind every 24 hours. You've got to give things, let, let things settle. And let yourself settle the bits. I mean, the best way of finishing work, which we rarely get the opportunity to do, is to have to is to do as much as you possibly can and stop, and then and then come back three weeks later and have a really good look at it because then you've got you know you're calmer, you're not sort of so you're not so so kind of um, mad in the head for it, you're not exhausted. Yeah, and that's a really good way of looking into something as whether it's good work. I, I always try to do that with snagging like I always try to leave a period and that I obviously contractors on site they go mad if they can't see they're working uh, all the work we do is in situ but you know there's usually I don't know building site around you but if you're not yes, there they're yes. ringing you up saying where are you where are you and to try and explain that you're trying to you know get some fresh eyes on the job you know it doesn't go yes, down well is- <laughs> it's a difficult thing to write in that isn't it yeah. you've got to call it something else lucy call it something else in the future i know but the call thing is it, often um, uh, i have to say things like call it well. drying time call yeah, it drying dry time, time. <laughs> uh, Cure, I mean, no curing time's even better curing. because nobody can see anything curing yeah, yeah. sorry yeah. no no but i mean often i have to say well because uh, everything is nearly outdoors so i have to say things like well i'm really sorry if it's too wet or too damp we can't work because you know the materials don't respond uh, as you would want them to and obviously and if it's too hot also i mean if it's a really blazing day we can't work because everything melts so then it sounds like yeah. you're making yeah. a ton of excuses we can't work if it's wet we can't work if it's hot we can't work if yes. it's strong if we're yeah. if we're needing time with fresh eyes you know yes. it, it, mm. but um no I think I think that's absolutely golden actually is that thing of having space from it I was gonna ask you a little bit about whether you've got a piece that you think you know is the real deal the one that you want to be remembered for or whether I don't know. Sometimes it's always the piece you're working on, which is your best work. I mean, I, I think I just don't have that. I don't look at it like that at all. You don't. It's just um, no. I think it's. Uh, I don't really have a you know a favourite piece. I just I just every piece is um, has its own. Is it merit? And, and you've. Put I mean, I've done. I've, you know, I've done. I've done something like two hundred and fifty over life size or over commissions in my in my in my working life. And, okay. And, you know, I couldn't pick up one. You know, everything is. I go through the same trajectory of same pattern of, of kind of um, enthusiasm, which turns to dismay, which turns to um, all sorts of things. 
whichever piece I do, so I have, a, I have the same set of feelings through. So it's not it is a roller coaster for you each project. No, I think I think you see, I, I take public sculpture very seriously. I, I think it's something that is, you know, the, the, these especially commemorative or all sorts of public sculpture. I'm obviously in the world of commemorative sculpture, but it's it's you know these things are, are, are very important in terms of. Uh, in, in as well, in, in as much as a community is identifying itself, in the same way that you know, I, I put a picture on my whenever I put a picture on the wall, I'm I'm kind of identifying, saying what I care about, who, who you know, I'm saying something about who I am. But there's you know, I make it's a semiotic. And when people do do that with public sculpture, if there's um, you know, if I like working with, I like creating something for a location. I wouldn't ever, I can't ever imagine myself making something and it being plonked somewhere. Mm. Um, because I think that's not public, you know, in a way that's just like gallery sculpture that's in a public place. I think it's a, I think it's a difference. And I, I think it's very important to, to very much engage, it's spatially very important to engage with, 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 with a location. Um, and I put huge amounts of time and experience and, and, trial, and trial and error to get the size of things right because that's your first experience of it so i want the pieces to i want my pieces to really fit where they are to fit both physically fit visually fit but also emotionally fit with with the community that are around so that's what i spend that's where i focus my attention i mean this is this is kind of my my work this is what i do so i'm i'm that's and that's part of it is 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 making sure that as much as I possibly can, because I can't control everything. Um, but as much as I possibly can, I try to make it work in, in all those ways. Because I think it's it's incumbent on all of us to make inspiring, beautifully made work that is respectful of the community, not and the people that are going to see us be around it. Um, otherwise, why have anything there at all? Yeah. Well, uh, I see an awful lot of of love towards sculpture. I know that, you know, sculpture has had, uh, some sculptures had a bad rap recently, but there's also a huge amount of love and care uh, taken. And, you know, even the tiny gestures, there's some sculptures we work on that have different flowers put in every week, uh, you know, in the hand of a sculpture. And you just see the community, how much they love it and they care about it and how much they yes, identify it's, it's with it. Yes, it's a sense of ownership, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how, you know, it, it sounds like it's it's been a good career to you, 250 sculptures. Uh, you know, you've obviously gained a very significant reputation in the field. But has there been days where you've thought, you know what, I should have done something else? Well, when you're freezing in the room in the middle of winter. <laughs> <laughs> because, um, yeah, I mean... Uh, <laughs> I think get more, <laughs> count the days. Count the days when I don't think that list. Is <laughs> no, I, I, I exaggerate. Of course, yeah. No, I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can. Yeah, yeah. To you? Yeah, I mean, I, I frequently, uh, particularly, what, what, what particularly would you in January, uh, I, yeah. I would. Uh, when I'm breaking the ice on the sculpture before we start work, I kind of think maybe I should have worked in a, in an office, but no, I I couldn't think of doing anything else other than spending my time worrying about sculpture and making sure that it will be here in future. Yeah. When I, I remember, I mean, I can't remember what sculpture studio it was, but it was certainly the moment I walked into a sculpture studio. 
I kind of felt at home from the moment. And so, you know, when you get that feeling, you just kind of, you you just put up with anything to keep that going. Yeah, I agree. Can you tell everyone where they can find out more about you if they'd like to? Um, I've got an Instagram Instagram thing called Mark Richards Sculpture. That's on Instagram. And my website is called markrichardsculpture.com. One of the uh, one of the things I was quite fascinated with was that you you seem to have a an Instagram page for the different projects. Sometimes I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, I have. So I have a I have an Instagram page for the um, say for the Roger Casement page, which is a Roger Casement sculpture. That would be um, for the for the for the time that was that was because I was working with the Visual Arts Ireland on that, and they they wanted to have a record of of the. process so that they could point people directly at just a, a I thought that was magnificent uh, I really love that you what the the, the accounts the, the, yeah the, just the the progress that you can see and that, that it's not something that's necessarily common with one project because maybe they feel like there's only a fine out night amount yeah. of content but I think it really works for that statue and I've, I've I've got sort of a I've got kind of a visual blog on each process blog I suppose on each um, on each of the statues on the website so every 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 um, every statue uh, category on the website has a, a few pictures of, of of the making of things um, and I think that's I think that's also part of it, it's it's kind of something I do for my clients more than anything so they can really keep track of things and. And they, you know, it stops people having to make studio visits, for example. Yeah. Uh, you know, it stops people, you know, it means that, that, that people can just, they can check progress and they can see how things look. And then yeah. maybe just do one, one or two studio visits rather than a lot over, over the process. Oh, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate it, Mark. Pleasure, Lucy. And thanks very much indeed for asking me. It's been really lovely. I loved Mark's formula for creating a quality piece of work. It was just so perfectly simple. Hours and hours and hours a day of solitary work. To him, that's quite uh, contrary to his gregarious nature, but those hours, he says, allow space for something new to enter into the world. But putting aside, just for a moment, Mark's good business practice and his fine sculpting skills, I'm sure that one of the main reasons that he's been so successful and had so many wonderful commissions over the years is his love of group creation, which he recognised early on in his education when he was studying the nature of medieval guilds and communities of artists and how these groups of people created magnificent things that were kind of more than the sum of their parts. And to some extent, that's what a community commemorative project like a monument is. Mark is the hands of the work in that instance, but it's many souls that make a project like that happen. Now, when Mark told us the story about having to admit to himself and all the other parties involved in the Roger Casement statue that it just wasn't good enough and that he'd have to start again... I couldn't help being anything other than hugely admiring. And though he tells it in such a light-hearted way, that must have cost him a lot to do. And it goes to show you that even when 
you're a seasoned professional, we can sometimes miss the mark. But it's how you go about dealing with that, which separates out whether it ends up a triumph or a disaster. In this case, I can assure you, looking at the fabulous photos, it's definitely a triumph. It was the 100% commitment that Mark pledged to that group of people that meant he had no other choice than to tell them that it was wrong and he needed the opportunity to put it right. And I'm sure because of the trust he put in them, that was how he was able to bring those clients along with him. There's a new way of supporting the show this week. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com backslash Lucy Branch. And it's a really great way of being able to show your support for the show and help keep it on the road as long as possible. Coming up in the next episode is Nicola Godin, who's a figurative sculptor who has done some very well-loved monuments, including Icarus for the London 2012 Olympic Village, Sir Peter Scott's sculpture for the London Wildfire and Wetlands Centre in Barnes, and the Hammersmith Man. For all those that drive over the Hammersmith flyover, you must know that one. Nicola is incredibly engaging and also talks about what it's like to be a professional sculptor with a big family and the demands that makes of you. You'll definitely want to hear Nicola's story, so don't forget to tune in and be inspired by Nicola. If you're looking for a new book, please consider one of my novels about the dark side of the art world, where sculpture is always at the heart of the story. You can get them on the show website, on the usual online retailers, or even better, Keep your local library alive, ask for them in there. Thank you for joining me today. Sculpture Vulture has been brought to you by Antique Bronze.